Hello to everyone again, and we're thankful for another opportunity to look into the Word of God and study. We're certainly thankful for the study of Elijah thus far, thankful for the Lord's help and the wonderful Word of God and the messages that we can glean from that Word for us today. We're certainly thankful unto God for providing us such a wonderful and glorious Word as He has provided us. Uh, and last time we got down to about verse 9. In 1 Kings chapter 17 is where we're looking. We got down to about verse 9. And the brook where God had sent Elijah has dried up. And he has sent Elijah now to a widow's house in Zarephath. Again, a Gentile city and a Gentile people, a Gentile nation, and a Gentile widow woman that he has sent her sent Elijah to to sustain, all by the direction, by the will of Almighty God. We looked last time and seen that not everyone has the same opportunity, but it's by the direction and by the will of God, so that God receives all glory for all things. And Elijah's not going wondering whether she's going to do or not. Elijah, I commanded the ravens to feed you. I've commanded her to as well. She's going to obey, not because she's a good woman, not because she's praying every day, not because she's seeking my face. She's going to feed you because I've commanded her to do so. We're thankful to God for His power, His leadership, His guidance in our lives. So we'll pick up now in verse number 10. And let's meet this widow woman and see how she's faring in the midst of this famine. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, <clears throat> the widow woman, not a widow woman, the, the one that God had in mind the entire time. The widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. So notice now, and we're, we're going to look at a few things, but notice this, what she says unto Elijah. As the Lord thy God liveth, not her God. She does not recognize God as her God. She doesn't say as the Lord our God liveth, but she says as the Lord thy God liveth. So it would appear that she's at least familiar with Elijah. And no question now, remembering this, that Elijah had said this and disappeared, and Ahab, as we're going to see in chapter 18, Ahab had searched all of the nations round about looking for this man. No doubt they provided a description of what he looked like, said, we want him, and he made them swear whether they had him or not. So Elijah's name had got out. This is the man that's started this famine. This is the man that's causing this trouble. We need to get him and destroy him. So she's at least heard of him, aware of him, knows that he's an Israelite, and knows that he serves the God of heaven. So Elijah 
his reputation in the Lord has preceded him. She recognizes that of him, as we see. But where's she at now in her life? Well, the man of God comes. He says, bring me a cup of water. Bring me some water. She's going to go and get the water. And then he says, bring me some bread. So Elijah's request for water and bread brings her to this place, a place of confession. And we've talked before that confession is necessary in salvation. We're going to have to agree with God about our estate, about the condition of our life. Coming to God and pretending that we're not a sinner and a wicked sinner without hope, that's not going to work. But God requires truth in the inward parts. We're going to have to come, come truthfully, come honestly before God. And Elijah is going to make her confess what she truly is and where she truly is before him. So we see in Genesis 32, there we see Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And he says, what is thy name? The angel asked Jacob, what's your name? And now the name Jacob, it means a subplanter. Somebody that's a heel catcher, a thief, a crook, underhanded, slimy. That's what the name implies. So what's he saying to Jacob? What are you? Who are you? Confess to me what you truly are. And Jacob says, I'm a Jacob. I'm one that has subplanted, that has stolen, that has robbed, that has lied, that has undercut others. I'm that one. So God's seeking for man to come honestly before him, confessing what he truly is. So the famine then, she confesses. The famine's all over the land and her substance is almost gone. She's out gathering sticks for the final meal. She's brought to a place of no hope. Perhaps uh, a couple weeks before, there was a, a, a little bit of flour in the barrel and there was some oil in the cruise. And she says, well, perhaps we'll be able to get some more before we run out. Maybe somebody will have compassion on us. And there might have been a little hope there. But here, now she's reached the last day of her life in her mind and there's no hope for her. Well, that's where God brings man. And unless man gets to a place of no hope, he'll never call on God for salvation. If I've got hope anywhere else, then that's where I'll look to, that's what I'll trust in, and I won't come to God for salvation. But God, by the gospel and the Spirit, brings man to a place that he's got no hope whatsoever. And, and Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 16. He's talking about the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that's going to come. And in John 16, verse 8, And when He is come, the Comforter, He will reprove, that word means to convince or convict, He will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
So what's the Spirit convincing man of? That he's a sinner, first of all. That he's broken the commandment of God. He's convincing man of the righteousness of God that a man with any sin is unacceptable and unrighteous in God's sight. That God will not accept anything less than perfection and of judgment, if a man is not absolutely perfect, he's going to be cast into a lake of fire. So where does that leave man? Once I'm convinced that I'm a sinner and I've broken the law of God, I'm convinced that God's going to accept nothing less than perfection. Well, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous then. And I'm in danger of this judgment that's to come. I'm left in a place that I've got no hope of myself. I've already broken the law. I'm already a sinner. I'm already unrighteous. I'm already in danger of the judgment. And when I get there, when I'm in that place of hopelessness, then God can bring Christ unto me and reveal to me the work that He's done. In Romans chapter 7, I believe we see Paul was brought to that very place by the power of God Verse number 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. So where was Paul? Well, he was doing just fine. He was living life, and in his own eyes, he was doing great. But the commandment came. Now, Paul was a Jew, taught at the feet of the greatest lawyer around at that time, the law lawyer in that time and in the, that sense, as the Bible says, that was a man that was well versed in the law and the commandments of God. So he went to a religious school. He was taught the law of God. He was taught the commandments of God. He knew what they were, but God's going to make them real to him. Sin's going to revive. He's going to be made aware of his sin, and Paul's going to die. Boy, Paul's going to be left in a hopeless, hopeless place. As the Lord Jesus says, it's me that you're persecuting. And Paul realizes that everything he's believed and everything he's done has been sin. Boy, where does that leave Paul? Paul's without hope. Paul needs a Savior. And there, there we were all found one day. God, by the gospel, brought us to a place of, Lord, I'm without hope, I need a Savior. And it's God that brought us there. God's famine is what brought the widow woman there. God's Spirit and the Word of God, the Gospel, is what brought us there. And so the Lord brought her to a place. She was going to eat her final meal, then she was going to die. She was without hope. But notice now, the Word of God appears at the perfect time. So you wonder then, you go back to where we were last study and the brook drying up. Why would God leave him there when the brook dries up? Why has God left me here with no water? Well, the perfect timing of God, the brook's going to dry up at the perfect time. This woman's going to be in the place of uh, a hopelessness right when the brook dries up. It's all in the order of the plan of God. I was listening to a service of another church around here just a couple days ago talking that everybody there is not there by chance. 
But God knew, God knows, God knew where this widow woman was going to be, and God sent the word of God to her at the exact right time. She's going to be hopeless. God's going to show up. In Genesis 22, verse 13, Abraham's drawing the knife back to slay Isaac, and God stops him and says, Withhold, I now know what's within thee. And what do they find? But they find a ram caught in a thicket right there where they're at. Now what about the provision of God that God had the ram coming up one side of the mountain and right when it was time that there needed to be an offering, that ram gets his horns caught there right on time. Now Abraham could have said, Why? Why have you brought me here to kill my son and questioned and doubted and backed off? But nay, it was the perfect plan of God proving what God had done in Abraham and God's going to deliver a, a, a ram, a sacrifice right on time. Just as always, God is always right on time. We talked about this scripture last time. Let's turn and look at it just for a minute in John 11. We'll just read a couple verses here. This is the chapter of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So why? The Lord was glad that he wasn't there so that Lazarus would die. Now that makes no sense to the natural man, we'll say. Now, we've got 2020 hindsight. We know the rest of the story. We know what God's going to do. They didn't hear. But Jesus says, I'm glad he died because I'm going to get him up. I'm going to be right on time. I'm going to get him up and you're going to see my power and believe in me that I am God in the flesh. In Romans chapter 5, we actually just covered this in Sunday school uh, just a week or two back. Romans 5, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. So where had we got to? We had got to a place that we were feeble and diseased and helpless. We had no way of helping ourselves out of this state. We had no means of escaping our sin. And there we are without strength, dead in sins, hopelessly lost, in danger of the judgment. The Holy Spirit has convinced us of all of these things. We're perfectly aware of this. And where are we at? Hopeless. But when we were without strength, when we got to that place, the Lord Jesus showed up. God brought us to a place of salvation. And we gladly looked to the Lord Jesus because we were in a place without hope. You know where people's going to have to get in order to be saved? They're going to have to get to a place that they're without hope. Now you and I can't bring them there. We don't have the power nor the ability to get man to a place that he's truly without hope. But God brings man there. And I promise, follow the Lord, follow His leadership, we'll always be on time.
So uh, let's let's look on now in First Kings chapter seventeen. A little oil in the cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Look, Elijah, I don't have anything. We're going to die. This is the end of my life. You know where I was when God brought conviction to me? I can remember I sat on the second row, the second pew, on the left-hand side of the church, and I remember sitting in that pew, and I knew in my mind and in my heart that I was going to die, and I was going to go to hell. That's where God had brought me. And thank God that He did, because from that place, He could bring me to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Elijah said unto her, Fear not, this ain't the end of the story. Elijah's here with a purpose. Fear not, and go do as thou hast said. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. So what a wondrous message that God sends. Look, you're hopeless. It's true. That wasn't a mirage. She was hopeless. She was going to die. But, fear not. Do what God says. God's going to provide. Now, ain't that, ain't that a wonderful message? That's the same message of salvation. You are hopeless. You're going to die lost and go to hell. But don't fear. Look to the Lord Jesus and He'll provide you the righteousness that you need to escape the judgment of the Lord God. Do as you said. Go and make a cake, but make me one first. Now you know what's going to have to happen here? She's going to have to let go of natural reasoning and of the carnal mind. And she's going to have to believe God above what she sees and what she's experienced her whole life. Maybe, maybe this is silly, but I don't intend for it to be, and I believe we can get something good out of it. But she's a woman. She's got a son. I don't know how old she is. But I'm going to say she's made a lot of cakes of bread in her life. She knows how much flour it takes to make a little cake of bread. And as she looks in the barrel of meal, there's enough for one cake there. So, in order for her to be willing to make Elijah a cake first, she's going to have to let go of what she thinks, and what she sees, and believe the Word of God. She's never, now, maybe, I hope this will make sense, by the Holy Ghost, she's never reached into a barrel that empty and made two cakes before. It's impossible. There's not enough meal there. But by the word of God are not all things possible. So she's forsaking what she knows. She's forsaking what she's experienced in her life. This goes against the experience that she's had and believes the word of God. God has said that I'm going to provide until this famine is over for you and for your son. What a wonderful promise. You know what God said? 
I'm going to provide for you. But it's not just for two and a half years. God said to the church, I'm going to provide to you a righteousness that will cause you to endure for eternity in glory with God the Father and with God the Son. She had no logical reason to believe this promise. This was impossible by man's standard. So the only means then that she could obey this is by faith in God alone. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 and maybe this sounds like it don't go together but I believe it goes right with this very well. Galatians Galatians a wonderful book chapter 2 verse 16 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. So you think now if she had a full barrel, wouldn't be no problem to make Elijah a little bit. That would be a good work. That would be being generous. That'd be an easy thing to do. If there was no famine, it'd be no problem to make Elijah a little cake of bread. Because we can go get more. It's readily available. But by this point, they can't go get more. The crops are dead. It's hard to find. It's expensive. What little bit of meal that there is, it's expensive and we can't afford it. There's no way that we can do this, Elijah. I can't afford it. We're going to die here. This is the end of us. Well, it's not by works. It's going to be by faith alone. The little widow woman is going to have to believe what God said through Elijah and not act on experience not act on good works, but she's going to have to say, I believe God's able to do this. I'm going to make him a cake first. Now, how could a Gentile woman living in a Gentile city, which is part of a Gentile nation, where they worship Baal and they worship Ashtaroth. Remember, remember that Jezebel was the daughter of the king of the Zidonians and they worshipped Ashtaroth and they worshipped Baal in Zidon. That's where this woman's from. Zarephath of Zidon. How could this woman believe what Elijah said? and believe in this miracle. I think that's a good question. The Bible says in verse 9, Behold, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain me. God gave her faith to believe this. That was impossible. And that she had never seen before, God gave her faith she believed it. She's not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in what God said, and faith in what God said alone. So the Lord said, it shall not fail. Not maybe not, not perhaps, but God's promise says it will not happen. In Romans chapter 4, and we covered this sometime back in Sunday school, but in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, as it is written, 
I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not, as though they were. God's not questioning. God's certain and sure, and the promise is, it will not fail. You're going to go back to a barrel with a handful in it, and you're going to pull a handful out of it at least three times a day, every day, until it rains. Now that don't make sense, but that's the power of God. So that's the promise, and in verse 15, by faith, she's going to obey. And she went and did. Notice the words again. Same as Elijah, she went and did. We've got Elijah, when he sent to the brook, he went and did. Then he sent to um, Zarephath. He arose and went, and when he came to the gate of the city. And here the widow woman, she receives the promise of God, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. It goes without saying, but saving faith produces obedience. And if there is no obedience, if there's no movement, if there's no life, then there's no saving faith present. You can say that you have faith all along, but if it does not produce an obedience to the call of God, then there is no faith. She can't say, I believe what you've said, and then not make a cake of bread for Elijah? That would be evidence of unbelief, would it not? So then how can people say today, well, I believe in Jesus, and they reject everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus commands, and they reject the church, the very family of the Lord Jesus? How can it be? It can't be. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching... And this is what he says in verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Bring forth fruit that proves that you have indeed repented. I wonder today, do people have any fruit that they've repented? Is there any evidence of the work of God in their life that they are different afterwards? The truth is there's very few that's got any evidence of a work of God in their life. But saving faith produces obedience to the word and to the commandment of God. It's not the other way around. It's not my obedience produces faith. It's the work of God and me believing God and my belief that faith that God's given produces obedience. In Hebrews 11, there we see what's commonly called the patriarchs of faith. But you see these men and ladies that had faith through the Old Testament. And you know what's said over and over and over again in that chapter? By faith. They believed God. They had God-given faith. 
And by that faith, Enoch walked with God. Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice. Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark. Abraham left his home country. Abraham believed that Sarah was going to have a son. Isaac and Jacob dwelt in tents. Some subdued kingdoms brought down great armies. Moses forsook Egypt. All of these examples that we have of these men and women that had faith, it produced something in their life. A pile of people say they believe, but there's no product. That ain't going to pass John the Baptist's test. He said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Prove what you've said. Now you talk about the certainty of God's word. We'll talk about that one more time. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. And today, there's a lot of different doctrines and a lot of different thoughts about what's yet to come. And they say, well, God's not fulfilled His promise to the natural people of Israel yet. And God promised Abraham, and God's going to do what God promised Abraham. He can't forsake it. Well, that's true. God's word is absolutely certain. God can't forsake to do a promise. But now there was a man named Solomon, the son of David, who God gave great wisdom to. He builds a temple. And listen, this is at the dedication of the temple. This is what Solomon says at the dedication of the temple. Blessed, this is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. So God had done in Solomon's day God had fulfilled all of the promise. So what's left to be fulfilled? Well, the natural part's already been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Solomon's day. So there's a lot of natural stuff, and it's, it's just junk is what it amounts to. Uh, looking for natural kingdoms and natural promises and natural deliverance. It's not going to happen. But God's word's certain. The Lord had fulfilled his promises in Solomon's day, and God's never failed to keep nor to fulfill any of his promise. So can you say, well, she's going to take a chance here? Is she taking a chance by doing what God said? Absolutely not. That's what the devil would say. But she's not taking a chance. She's trusting in the hand of the most trustworthy being that there is in all of eternity. God himself who cannot lie. It is not taking a chance to trust in what God says and do as God commands. It's not hoping so. God does what he says he's going to do and it's absolutely certain certain. Why would we doubt what God says? Yet, yet, we do. I do, and sadly, 
you do as well in our flesh and in our natural man. But may God give us grace in the inward man. We might glorify and exalt His name. That we might honor Him. That we might, that we might trust Him. Just, just to be honest. Just to trust Him. We'll stop there for today. I'm thankful for another opportunity to study the Word of God. Thank God for His help. Hope the Word can be a help and strength to you. And I, I said last time, I'm going to say again, anybody got any question, any correspondence, anything you'd like to say to us? I know that many know my phone number, and if you do, just call. But for those that don't, I have an email, only the word podcast at gmail.com. You can send us an email. We'll do our very best to get back with you quickly. We love you. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful week, wonderful services. We love you and pray for us.